You're about to listen to another Bonversation. Bonversations feature the most interesting and insightful people in the act realm and beyond. Every episode is made possible by people like you who value and support independent media. Now here's your host, JLB. It wasn't a tent, it was this magnificent thing. Yes, so this is Bonversations number 40 and today we're talking about alternative health and alternative perspectives on what this place really is. And I know a lot of people are very skeptical of astrology, but how many people understand that the astrology that we're given today might be a deception, bogus, a hoax, keeping us away from the real astrology? We'll talk about that later on, but we're going to start with some alternative health discussion because I'm talking with Amelie from Cottage Remedies. She runs a website and she has a YouTube channel where she talks about ancestral wisdom, nourishment and health. And she's into things like naturopathy and holistic iridology readings. So we've got a lot to talk about today. Coming to us from somewhere in the south of France is Amelie from Cottage Remedies. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you, John. It's such a pleasure to be speaking with you today. Now, let me ask you right off the bat, what are you doing in France? You sound Australian to me. What are you doing down there? So I am Australian. I'm from Queensland, Australia, but I do have some family in France. So I'm here for about six months. I only arrived two and a half weeks ago just to travel the country and just stay with some family. Enjoying it so far? Yes. Yeah, I, I really am. It's it's nice because Australia is quite, well, the buildings are quite modern in comparison to the architecture in Europe. So I really like the stone buildings and a little bit of, you know, old world architecture that I will definitely see when I visit Barcelona and Spain and some other locations. Well, you are relatively young. I heard you on a fakeologist call some months ago, and I'll give a hat tip to my truth uncle, Ab, from fakeologist.com. I found your work through his website, and I'm sure he'll love to hear that because he listens to all of these conversations, listens to every single one. And you were chatting with Frank the Salt Guy, who was the gentleman who got me questioning salt all those years ago. I used to think salt is bad for you, and you should try and minimize it and keep it out of your diet. It was Frank the Salt Guy from Geelong who got me questioning what I thought I knew about salt. So that's how I found your work, Emily. So why don't we start there? You've got cottageremedies.com. Give the listeners an idea. What do you try to do with your website and with your YouTube channel? Yep. So on my YouTube channel, I post pretty regularly. I do a few podcasts with some people who are also interested in natural health. So I have them on to share what they know. And then I also do some of my own informative educational videos and lately a few vlogs as well, just about what I eat. Um, and especially since I am in France, it's getting a bit interesting because the French cuisine is very alongside with my opinions on health. So that saturated fat is very important, that it's important to eat a diet that's high in animal products. So the French cuisine is great for that with all the cheese, uh, steak tartare, um, the pate, you know, that type of food. Um, and I'm finding a lot of raw dairy products here as well. So that's making my YouTube channel quite interesting lately. And then on my website, that's where I have a lot of the information about the services that I offer, which is naturopathy and iridology readings. Excellent. So let's start there. How did you first get in to this alternative health? And before you answer that, I will say I've got a whole ton of notes here from my research from looking at your website and YouTube channel. You do have a lot of what some people might call controversial opinions. But before we scare away the listeners with some of the more extreme stuff, let's start with the more entry level. How did you get into this naturopathy in the first place? Yeah. So I guess like a few other health practitioners, who end up going down the alternative medicine route, it sort of begins with healing themselves and their own health conditions that they dealt with. So for me, my health conditions were relatively not that severe. I was in high school or just finishing high school when I started to become quite conscious of my own health. So I was pretty much just dealing with the 
I had hormonal acne that I didn't want to treat with pharmaceutical medications, even though it's very common today that a dermatologist will prescribe Roaccutane. So I didn't want to go down that route because I had researched quite deeply into the effects that will have on your bones, your liver, your skin. It's quite counterintuitive, but it is actually going to be harming your skin as well. So I just wanted to find a more natural approach. I had grown up with a history of some struggles with my health because I was diagnosed with celiac disease at 11, which if you don't know, that's an autoimmune disease where I react to gluten. And autoimmune disease, as they like to teach us, it's supposedly the body attacking itself. However, the body's goal is always to survive and to heal. So I don't believe that the body ever attacks itself for no reason. I believe that the celiac disease most likely comes from the modification, such as GMO, that we've done to the wheat, um, that we don't eat fermented wheat anymore, and that it's heavily sprayed with agrochemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. So I believe that's what's really damaging a lot of people's gut lining today. And then their body will just marker that gluten molecule as an foreign invader. And then then comes the the problems with celiac disease, the symptoms, which is uh, a demolishing of the villi in your small intestine, which then you can't easily absorb nutrients from your food because that's what the villi are there for. So then as a result, I became deficient in pretty much on the whole blood spectrum, especially iron. I, I had a ferritin of five, which is extremely low. Your goal is about a hundred. So I did suffer from a range of problems as a child, such as eczema. I had two abscesses where those were on my baby teeth. So I had a lot of baby teeth dental problems and just many different things. I couldn't concentrate. I was, especially on the year I got diagnosed, I was sick out of school for about half the year. So my immune system was just very weak. Not that the immune system is a defense system like we are taught. Uh, It's actually just a repair and regeneration system. So basically my body didn't have the capabilities of healing itself like it should have just because it was in a weakened state. So I did have some gut health issues growing up. However, when I did cut out gluten, they mostly resolved themselves, except when I went through high school with quite severe acne. That's something that I just wanted to heal. I didn't really want to go into my adult years with that. And as much as they, people would tell me that it's just a teenage problem and you'll grow out of it, even to this point, I know that if I didn't take the steps that I did to heal my gut and my body and then ultimately clear my skin, I would have 100% suffered with adult acne and a few other issues that I had going on with my digestion. So that was kind of the catalyst into me researching health. And so I went through an evolutionary journey of discovering the truth within the health community because there are numerous diets, there is a lot of misinformation and lies that can really trick people up when they are trying to eat healthier or live a healthier lifestyle. So it was just a process of me learning and sifting through the false information to find the truth, I suppose, within the health industry, which is definitely real because, there, like I said, there's a lot of lies. And I do believe that there's a really, really strong agenda being posed on the population to weaken the population through food, through environmental toxins, through our light environment and our lifestyle altogether. Because when you have a weak or damaged body or system, you're not able to think clearly, your memory will worsen if you don't have a very physically capable body. So if you're not using your body effectively every day, if you live a sedentary lifestyle, for example, and that's really going to be limiting what you can do with your body. So 
yeah, I do see that, you know, we're, we're facing a lot of a negative push on us to fall for the microwave takeaway meals, fast food, convenience food, and ultimately fake food because where I am now, I'm basically, I've discovered what real food truly is. But I'll just start from the exact steps that I took. I never, a lot of people who are down this same journey as me will have had experience with veganism and that's usually their catalyst into a animal-based diet. But I never actually went down that path. I started at carnivore. (laughs) So I went from eating how a regular teenage would when I went out with friends and, you know, we would just eat party food or, or whatever. But then I decided to try the carnivore diet. So I basically went cold turkey. I think my last meal the day before was fish and chips. So <laughs> I went into the whole, I basically for three months only ate meat. So chicken, red meat, fish. I had eggs, butter, salt, and water. So those three months, I didn't even have honey or dairy, which some carnivore dieters do eat. And so I did that very strictly. However, I moved on from this diet because I wasn't getting the results that I thought that I would. I found the completely zero carbohydrate diet, which the carnivore diet is. It's even it's even less carbohydrates than the ketogenic diet. It's just completely zero, especially if you're not having dairy. So that made me feel uh, very fatigued. I found I had low energy. Um, I was seeing benefits in my skin slowly. I had a long way to go because I started off with very severe cystic acne. Um, So I was noticing benefits. However, one of the issues with digestion that I had struggled with for a long time, I think it was due to celiac and the damage to my gut was constipation. And when I went on to the carnivore diet of eating all cooked meat and cooked eggs. So there was no probiotics or bacteria left in my food because it was all cooked and I wasn't eating fermented foods. So my body was lacking that microbiome focus that I was needing to heal my digestion. So I found the constipation was actually being exacerbated. I was feeling still quite tired And I actually lost my period for six months, which was probably because of the lack of carbohydrates. So I decided to try something else. And the next thing that I moved on to was the GAPS diet. And if you don't know what that is, it's the gut and psychology syndrome diet, which is a diet or book written by um, a neurosurgeon by the name of Natasha Campbell McBride. And so this diet was originally written for or designed for mental health disorders, but people around the world have found that it basically will heal your body in general, that it's got a lot of benefits for any kind of disease or disorder. So I stuck to this diet for a year and a half, a very long time. It's got two sections. It's got the intro diet, which is very strict. And when I do something, I do it, I do it, you know, I'm fully in. So I was doing it very strictly following the rules of this diet because I wanted to make sure that I was going to be getting the results from it. So this, the intro diet, it's split into six stages. It's basically like an elimination diet, but what differs the GAPS diet from carnivore, even though the GAPS diet is extremely animal-based. It puts saturated fat and animal products on a pedestal of your main calorie caloric intake. It's still different because the GAPS diet focuses on your gut health. So that means that fermented foods is a really important part of your diet. And I think that this is something that really, really did help me because I noticed as soon as I transitioned into the GAPS intro diet, I was basically um, accelerating towards health. I was healing quite rapidly. So part of this is with every meal, you will have a fermented food. The GAPS diet is very 
no ultra processed foods. You basically have to make everything from scratch at home. So it was extremely labor intensive and time consuming because you had to make everything from scratch. There's no starches in the GAPS diet at all. So for a year and a half, and even if I include the carnivore diet as well, I wasn't eating any starch. So no lentils, no chickpeas, no um, sweet potato, no potato, no rice or grains or any grains at all. So that was something that I was following. And then the GAPS diet is very focused on meat stocks, which is like a bone broth, but cooked for much less time. So it's not as high in histamines. So the GAPS diet is basically one to three cups of meat stock a day. And that is going to actually really, really heal your gut lining. It's going to be giving your body the collagen, the animal-based collagen that it needs to seal a leaky gut. And majority of the people today in the world are walking around with a leaky gut. And that's where a lot of allergies, skin disorders, mental health problems are actually coming from. So I did really enjoy that diet. It was really great, but it was restrictive still. So eventually, this kind of leads me to where I am today. I reintroduced starches and I reintroduced a few other different foods that that weren't part of the GAPS diet. And how I would say how I eat today is basically just real food. So, you know, these what I would say restrictive diets were definitely helpful, but when I was in them, I was so hyper-focused on on food, but food is only just one part of healing your body. There are so many other practices that these diets don't promote that you need on top of a diet to heal yourself. And it was, you know, probably only three months into the GAPS diet that I started focusing on some other uh, health practices like your circadian rhythm, so your light environment. I was focusing a lot. I always have focused on um, limiting non-native EMF exposure and just quite a few other things like taking shilajit, grounding, watching the sunrise every morning, so sun gazing, just a few different health practices that all have compiled to completely heal my body and continuing to heal my body as well. So now my main focus is, of course, still putting animal products at the forefront of any meal that I make. It will not go without an animal product. And then I do eat certain vegetables. I will probably go into explaining a little bit more about why I put a focus on animal products why I only eat certain vegetables. For example, I don't eat dark leafy greens. I don't really eat nuts or seeds. And there's a few other things. And um, that's just because they aren't actually benefiting our body at all. So there's really no point to eat them and, and, and they actually can harm our body. But mainly just whole foods. I always look out for the butcher or the farms in whatever area I am located in to purchase my produce from because then I know that it's going to be um, for the vegetables organic grown locally Um, that means that all the produce that they're selling is seasonal which is very important for our circadian biology because the food that you eat contains light codes and if you're eating a banana in winter then that's signaling the wrong location or you know latitude and longitude to your body and the it's making your body confused about what season it is in what part of the world it is in and while this may seem insignificant it is actually extremely significant to to the way that your body functions because your circadian rhythm is basically so connected to your the hormones of your body so you need a properly functioning circadian rhythm, which is the 24-hour cycle that your body goes through from, you know, waking, sleeping, it's the light and dark cycles of the day. And then back to the produce, yep, it's local, seasonal, organic. So I know that I'm eating 
the most ancestral vegetables for that time of the year, this, um, the fruits as well. And then the meat, I also always buy from a butcher, making sure that it's grass-fed, the eggs are pasture-raised because quality is very important when you're choosing to eat whole foods because this eating this way won't get you the same results if you're buying your GMO seedless watermelon from the supermarket in the wrong season. Does that make sense? That's a terrific introduction. I've got a ton of dot points here. So if we can boil all of that down, basically your journey started when you tried to heal yourself, beginning with, you said you had a celiac, you were diagnosed when you were 11. And then when you were a bit older, you said that you got severe acne. So you wanted to treat Mm -hmm. this and that got you looking into what could be described as alternative health, basically. Yeah. And then fast forward a few years to today, and this is what you now do. You run the YouTube channel and the website trying to share basically what you've learned about health. Absolutely correct. Now, I know that you did study something after high school to do with naturopathy or alternative health. What was it that you studied? Yes, so I studied to become a naturopathy practitioner, which I am certified as today. And then I also got my certification in holistic iridology. Now, iridology, for those who aren't familiar with this, this is to do with studying people's eyes to determine their health or their ailments or something like this? Yes, yep. So I basically observe the iris, I just take a photo and then I can map their body on their iris and I look for the texture of the iris fibers, I look for any markings, I look at the color and many different things and that's able to basically non-invasively allow me to see how that person's body is functioning, what state of health it's in. And it really is the best way for me to get to the root cause of some of their health issues. Excellent. Well, I want to come back and talk about that topic because to me, that is fascinating. I have got a question for you on that though. On your website, Mm -hmm. where it has the holistic iridology reading, there is a close-up image of somebody's eye. That's not your eye, is it? No, I don't have blue eyes. (laughs) Well, that one's actually looks more like a green to me. And you do oh, have green eyes, true. right? You're talking about the green one? Yeah, I do have green eyes. That one's actually not my eye, but you're right. It is a very similar color. Have you ever heard the theory that you can sort of determine some characteristics of people based on the color of their eye? Not, so I'm not talking about the health or their ailments. I mean, as in yeah. green-eyed people are more likely to... Have you heard this idea before? Um, I think, but I'm not too familiar with it. We'll come back and talk about it later. I'm not saying that I necessarily believe in this. But as I start to acquire or accumulate more anecdotal evidence, I have noticed some patterns among green-eyed people. So we'll come back and talk about that later. But first, let's just run through this uh, massive list of dot points that I've got from your introduction there. So you started off wanting to heal yourself, which makes perfect sense. And then you said that the body's goal is always to survive and heal itself, which makes sense to me. You said that wheat today is not fermented and it's covered in agrochemicals, which makes sense. You said that you had problems with Mm -hmm. your teeth when you were younger. So are those tooth problems or those teeth problems that you had, have they been solved now or the the different diets that you've tried, have you actually managed to solve the teeth issues? Well, the teeth issues stopped back in primary school. It was truly my baby teeth. I'm so grateful for this. Somehow my, my body really pulled through for me back then. But yeah, as a child, I was just so malnourished, which is, it sounds know bad to say that but when you look at my blood results yeah I was very deficient in a lot of nutrients simply my I raised in a household that was eating red meat every day but it was just because my gut was so damaged I couldn't absorb the nutrients but yeah I had um, a lot of cavities two abscesses which is a tooth infection where that side of your face literally swells up because that tooth is decaying and they have to take it out but my adult teeth now um I have no cavities, so no fillings at all, and I've got very healthy gums and strong teeth. So luckily that didn't go go on to my adult teeth. Glad to hear that. The reason I ask about the teeth thing is because Mm -hmm. it seems to me that people begin the digestion process with their mouths. That's the first part of the whole process. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I have dinner with people and I notice that they eat very fast and barely even chew their food. And I think Mm -hmm. to myself... And sometimes these are very intelligent people. And I think to myself, 
maybe they're not conscious of, maybe nobody's pointed out to them that all of that food that you're eating, your the rest of your digestive system is going to have to deal with it. The whole reason you've got yeah. those teeth in your head is to break the food up to make the rest of the digestion more efficient. And so mm -hmm. even simple little things like that, I don't think they really teach us that very well at school or when we're kids. Maybe it comes up in some class at some point, but this is a fundamentally important thing, Emily. When you're eating your food, if you eat it too quickly and don't chew it properly, the rest of the digestive system is going to be trying to make up for that. And if you're eating good food, shouldn't you be enjoying it? So why are some people mm -hmm. in such a rush to eat, Emily? It blows me away. Sometimes when I go yeah. to dinner with people, even intelligent people, and I'm not pretending that I'm some healthy person. I'm not pretending that I'm some uh, guru of health. I'm far from it. I'm just talking about a fundamental basic element of digesting food. It doesn't start with our stomachs. It starts in our head, doesn't it? Yeah, a lot of people overlook this, but your mouth is your mechanical digestive system and then your stomach is the chemical digestive system. So you, a lot of people can suffer from bloating or um, GERD or acid reflux because they're not digesting their food well enough and that, that really could just be starting in their mouth. You know, they're taking too big of mouthfuls and then they're not chewing it enough to um, help their stomach because, yeah, you're exactly right. We have teeth for a very specific reason. Indeed. Yeah, so I found that interesting. So fortunately, you've managed to uh, fix up the, the skin issues that you said that you had and the celiac and the rest of it. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you have solved the problems that you were initially trying to solve when you got into all of this. Yeah, and by no means am I you know, completely toxin-free, as in my body, because uh, detoxifying is you know, a, a very serious thing your your body likes to be very careful with releasing toxins the toxins are stored in our fat and there's something that's a very interesting concept called the obesity paradox where you find people who have obesity they actually they have a very high toxin load in their body because their body is holding onto fat because they have so many toxins in their body and so their body is using all that, that extra fat on their skeleton to store those toxins. So because your body really does not want the toxins in um, the vital organs, that is extremely dangerous. But the toxins will go to fatty areas like the fat on your skeleton and then the bone marrow or even the brain, just any, any fatty area. Of course, you don't want it in the brain or the bone marrow, but... You don't want a toxin-filled body at all. So detoxifying takes a long time. I believe I've heard um, that mercury, your body only releases mercury at 3% per year, which is just such a little amount. If you consider um, the mercury that people are exposed to through amalgams or simply tin tuna, for example. So that's part of the detoxification process. Well, I want to talk more about detoxification later. So let's go through the rest of these dot points I've got from your terrific introduction. Actually, before I get to that, I've got a confession to make to you, Emily. Before we started this recording today, I did wander down to the local cafe and get myself a mm. cafe latte. So to put myself and all the listeners at ease here, even though you're very much into what some people call alternative health and trying to make sure that you're as healthy as can be, when you talk to or you see people like me drinking our cafe lattes or doing whatever we do, are you judgmental of the people who don't treat their bodies as temples, those of us who are not quite in perfect health? And I'm asking on behalf of not just myself, but the listeners as well here, Emily, what do you think about us, those of us who maybe don't take health as quite as seriously as you do? Do you kind of judge us a little bit, be honest? <laughs> no, I'm not judging as much as I'm thinking I wish they knew the truth. That's part of just getting information out there by speaking on platforms such as this. One thing that I do hope is that people realize that we kind of just do vote with our dollar a little bit. So if the consumers stop consuming the products that we shouldn't be eating, then there will be no market for it. And if we start spending our money at places where we want more of those products because we know that they're good for us, then as the demand increases, 
that will kind of take over. So that's a little bit how how I see it. But no, I, I don't judge people who they could be in any situation. I'm not saying that my lifestyle is expensive, that I think anybody can do it and manage it at, at any budget. But maybe for some reason they have um, limitations financially and then too scared to change their ways or they just simply don't know. There's many different reasons. So, Do you have any guilty treats? So, for example, I know that this cafe latte in a um, mm-hmm. disposable cup probably isn't good for me, Emily. I know that. But I think to myself, if it's having a slight detrimental effect on me, the milk and the caffeine and whatever nonsense is in this plastic cup, I think to myself, yeah, but the benefit is it makes me so happy and I look forward to it. If I'm recording an interview, for example, this is uh, roughly the middle of the day, I treat myself to Mm -hmm. a coffee before the interview. It makes me so happy, Emily. I walk to the cafe, I feel good. I get my coffee, I drink it, it tastes good. It makes me feel good. Really, it's a highlight of my day, getting this five-leather cafe latte. What do you think about those of us who are like, well, maybe this thing isn't the best for me, but it makes me happy. Do you have some sympathy for those of us who are still beholden to our guilty pleasures? Well, I actually have some pretty good news for you because part of the real food that I go for today allows for things that would be considered guilty pleasures, whether for you that's a a cafe latte or if it's ice cream or if it's pizza. And that I do now actually enjoy those things, but I simply focus on the quality of the food and the ingredients. So I will consume ice cream that I didn't for a long time when I was following those diets very strictly, but now I don't follow any particular diet. But there's a big difference between, I guess you would know, the Paul's brand of ice cream versus, say, haagen ice cream because the Paul's brand of ice cream is going to be using artificial flavors, artificial colors, you know, refined sugar. It's going to be using gums and preservatives and possibly even glucose syrup and just things that are not good for your body at all. Whereas Haagen-Dazs, when you just look at the vanilla flavor, and this is something that I personally do enjoy now, it's made with very simple ingredients that is what ice cream should be made out of. And I've read the ingredients so many times because I was so shocked when I found this product that I know it, but it's uh, it's basically just cream, condensed milk, sugar, vanilla essence, water, these aren't in order, and egg yolk. And that's it. That's all the ingredients. So there's no gums, there's nothing artificial. And what would be even better is if I could make ice cream at home with raw cream and egg yolk, and then some form of sweetener. Um, Those natural sweeteners I don't recommend, um, just as much as I don't recommend artificial sweeteners. So you should just go for maple syrup or something like that, and using organic ingredients would be the best. But do you see what I mean here? You can enjoy a coffee at home with organic coffee beans, with uh, filtered water, with raw milk, and um, when I do, I used to make this myself back when I had a coffee machine in a, when I was in Australia and I would put shilajit in there, which is just putting minerals into this coffee. And then some people do put an egg yolk as well. So you're, you're still enjoying these foods. You can make pizza with a organic, simple ingredient sourdough base that you could possibly make yourself and then just make the pizza yourself. So it doesn't mean that following a healthy lifestyle has to be restrictive or not enjoyable. It's just realizing that a food can be considered healthy when you are using the right ingredients. Well, I'm glad we got that clear because one of my trepidations about talking about health on any of my content with interviews or what I'm doing, whatever, is in my experience, people are very, whether they realize it or not, defensive whether it's conscious or non-conscious, whenever they hear somebody else talking about, well, here's this diet that I follow and it's worked for me, a lot of the times people can get, maybe defensive isn't even the right word, but it's. I think it's important to establish for the listeners, just because you have found that your path has worked for you, 
you're not trying to preach that everybody should do it the exact same way is what I think yeah. is the case with you. You're not trying to preach this or say, I did it this way so other people should if they want to treat themselves to this or to that. That's their own business. You're just presenting the path that you took, which has had a, a very positive effect on your life. And that's why you talk about this topic is because you think if people focus more on their health and what they're doing and what they're reading in particular, it might make their lives better as well. But you're not trying to preach a particular method or model of people's diets, you know, down to the, the last milligram of things they consume. You're just giving more of an idea of what's worked for you. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the feedback that I get from quite a lot of people that I really do like to hear is that I'm not dogmatic about any specific diet or lifestyle or way of being because in the the health community, these different diets can be extremely dogmatic or cult-like. So I've never been about that. I was never for that. I was just trying to get to a point where I was happy with the state of my body and basically just trying to look for what true nutrition was for the human, basically. So that's, and, and I'm being realistic as well, that when I look at these restrictive diets, it's very rare that people actually stick to them long term. Um, you know, people sometimes would, but I don't even see it as necessary. I don't see it as necessary for us to only eat butter, eggs, meat, salt, and water for the rest of our lives. And I don't, and I've realized now after, you know, experiencing it myself and then also researching it into it deeper that I don't actually believe the human body is carnivorous. What's interesting, and I I do believe, you know, we're absolutely designed to eat meat. So I don't even want to go into it, but, but veganism is a very, very dangerous lifestyle. But our digestive tract, yes, is extremely similar to that of a wolf and a wolf is carnivorous, but our digestive tract, particularly in the intestines, has a lot of bacteria and bacteria digest and break down plants, whereas the acids and the enzymes break down meat. So we have both, whereas a wolf only has the acids and the acidic stomach. So a wolf's digestive tract doesn't really have much probiotics because they don't eat plants. So that shows me that, yes, we are omnivorous. Um, there is a place for um, properly prepared or fermented starches like sourdough bread made from spelt that's organic and a little bit of fiber to feed the bacteria because fiber is a probiotic. But then putting a main emphasis on animal products for bioavailable nutrition. It's interesting what you say about the veganism. And I did warn the listeners at the beginning, there's going to be some controversial stuff, which by the way, we've barely scratched the surface of some of your more controversial opinions. But this one, the vegan thing, people who are into veganism or even vegetarianism, sometimes they can be, I wouldn't say necessarily dogmatic. They can be that way, but their diets mean a lot to them, as I was saying earlier. And there probably mm -hmm. are some people listening right now who either are vegan or vegetarian or what have you. When you say that you think veganism is very dangerous, what leads you to that conclusion? Yeah, so I'm saying specifically veganism is dangerous. Luckily, vegetarians do consume eggs and dairy, so they are able to get by, not as optimally, in my opinion, as someone who favors meat in their diet, but it's still not as bad. But veganism, when they completely cut out all animal products, even honey, so, so their diet is now only plant foods, but plant foods don't have bioavailable nutrition. And specifically, I'm talking about, for example, how they say carrot is very high in vitamin A, but actually it's high in beta carotene. But we need um, retinoic acid, which is the vitamin A that's very high in you know, meat, grass-fed butter, milk, and specifically liver. So we actually can't convert beta carotene to vitamin A. So basically when you're eating a carrot and thinking it's going to be good for your skin and good for your eyesight and all the things that vitamin A is important for, it's actually not. 
but I do enjoy eating a raw carrot, not for the vitamin A, but because it, you know, it's, it's got a few things specifically, it's got a compound in it that helps bind to excess estrogen in the body. And a lot of us do have excess estrogen in our bodies from perfumes, from fragrances that are in the room, air fresheners, um, and, and unlimited things. We are just being attacked by xenoestrogens in our environment, like in the plastics and, and so many things in the water, um, birth control pills. So that's why, you know, a raw carrot can be helpful for that. And it doesn't mean that I don't consume particular vegetables. However, you know, another example is spinach. They say spinach is very high in iron and the, the vegans think that they can eat a bowl of spinach, which is not even pasty at all. They've got to cover it in dressings that are probably full of seed oils, which you know, are really harmful for our health and used to be used as engine lubricants, but now it's in everything because it's dirt cheap. But that spinach is full of non-heme iron, whereas red meat is full of heme iron, the same type of iron that we have in our body. So when you're eating spinach, you're not getting bioavailable iron. And in fact, you're actually losing iron from your own body because that spinach is very high in oxalates. And those oxalates are a plant anti-nutrient that binds to certain minerals in our body, such as calcium and um, iron, and it prevents us from from absorbing it. So those are specifically high in dark leafy greens, which is why I said I don't see a point in consuming them. There's studies that those dark leafy greens like kale are very high in heavy metals because they suck them up from the dirt when they're grown and then, of course, they're very high in oxalates and plant anti-nutrients. So there is a little bit to to learn about these um, specific plants and why I, I do carefully choose the type of vegetables that I consume and how I prepare them. Cooking vegetables is better because it will help neutralize some of those anti-nutrients. And by the way, for people who don't understand, an anti-nutrient is a chemical in a plant, it's a natural chemical, but it's its natural self-defense mechanism. It's the way that it protects itself from predators because unlike an animal, which can run away from a predator, a plant can't run away from a bug. So the way that the plant can protect itself from being eaten by pests is to have some chemicals that will make the bug die or be sick. So that's kind of the idea of it. And for us, it's just not so good because some of them can bind to the nutrients in our body. So what you're saying is that a lot of people think these vegetables are healthy for them or healthy to eat or healthful or whatever. And what you're suggesting is that some of these plants, which we're led to believe are good for us to eat, actually those plants are trying to defend themselves from being eaten or by being attacked. And so by consuming those plants, we might actually be consuming some of the chemicals that were designed specifically to stop the plant from being eaten. In other words, it's bad for us, is what you're suggesting. Yes. Yeah, I'm with you. I've heard that idea before. Let me tell you a story about this veganism thing. And I don't pretend to know anything about diets or health or what's a good diet, what's a bad diet. I really don't pretend to know very much about this. But I will tell you this. A friend of mine, when I met him, he was big, strong, healthy, handsome. You would swear that this guy was um, in very good health. And he seems to be. But as I got to know him, he told me that this is a relatively recent thing. The last few years, he's tried uh, more of a meat-based diet or an animal fat-based diet. He said that a few years ago, he was into veganism. So this is somebody who I know in real life, in person. I've known him for some time. He now, what I'm trying to say, is very healthy. He seems anyway, very good looking dude. But he started to explain to me that a few years ago, he was into this veganism stuff and he took it very seriously. And he did cut out all of the animal products and he got very sick. And he even ended up in hospital. And he showed me this photo of him from a few years ago, back when he was sort of at the end of that veganism period. And he looked like he was dying from cancer. I couldn't believe it was the same guy. Couldn't believe it was the same person. But it was him. So the point is, and this is just his testimony. I wasn't there with him as he was going through this. I met him later after he'd gotten better. And this is a sample size of one person. So I wouldn't try and say, oh, well, Because of this guy, that means veganism is bad. It's too small a sample size and I don't have enough uh, evidence. I wasn't there, whatever. But just based on this one guy's testimony, he got into veganism. 
And over time, he became very thin and very gaunt, and he lost all of his strength. And he even said that he started to notice some recession of his gum. He said it wasn't enough for other people to notice, but he noticed it, and it started to scare him. And then the next thing he knows, he's so weak, he ends up in hospital. So he gets out of hospital, decides to change things up, and seems to have gone to the other extreme, which is just eating tons of meat and tons of animal fats. And I'm not saying I agree with going from one extreme to the other, but these days he's in very good health, so far as I can tell, mental and physical, and he looks strong as an ox. Yeah. So I see this, and I see that photo of him when he was sick, and I think to myself, there could have been other factors that he's not telling me about. I don't know what kind of lifestyle he led. But if the diet had anything to do with this, Goodness gracious me, it, it didn't end well for him, the whole veganism thing. It could have ended a lot worse too. You know, thank goodness he, uh, he got out of hospital and it was okay. Like he changed his diet and, and survived. But this idea of cutting all animal products out of your diet, if there are people who've done it and they're happy and healthy, I say I'm all for it. But just this one particular dude, he looked like he was on death's door. So I would be very uh, cautious about going down that path personally. Emily? Yeah, well, I've obviously, um, you know, in my path, talk to a lot of people who are ex-vegans and you know they talk about and from what I've researched anyway is that I I don't really know of any vegans that have stuck to it for decades and decades and decades and truly thrived you know they're all taking supplements they all have some sort of health condition going on whether it's iron deficiency hair loss bad skin, dental problems, weak nails. There's just a number of things that come from veganism as I do see it as a path towards malnourishment um, because our body is made of saturated fats. And when we look at the herbivores in nature, we are biologically so different to them. Just to put it so simply, the predator's in nature, the um, the animals that are predators have eyes on the front of their heads, same like us, and then the prey have eyes on the side of their head. So yeah, if you can if you compare like a sheep to a lion, you can see the placement of the eyes, and that's very common. So that that's one situation. But then other ones, if we compare our digestive tract to a cow, I've already compared it to a wolf. And I said, we've got a very similar digestive tract to a wolf. You know, uh, it's quite short. Whereas a cow has four stomachs, um, a very alkaline stomach pH because they don't digest meat. So they don't need a very acidic environment to digest meat. Instead, they have a lot of bacteria in their colon for stomachs. It's a very long process for them to digest the grass and the hay that they eat but they have the biology to be able to do that and convert the nutrients from the grass into the nutrients that we get from the cow but for us we we don't have that we have a stomach ph of 1 to 1.5 which is extremely acidic and you know we eat a lot of salt to produce that hydrochloric acid to be able to digest these foods so there is just a lot of differences when I talk to some vegans some you know will be on the diet for 10 years but then this one particular story um, I've I've known her for a long time and then I only just met up with her again recently she's a a family friend and she's been um, she was a vegan for a decade and then, she, you know, she told me that she's she's eating meat again. And I asked, you know, you know, how did that evolve? And she said she started having dreams about eggs and she couldn't stop having these dreams about eggs. And so she thought, you know, oh, why not? It's just an egg. It's just a, you know, a chicken period, whatever. <laughs> so she eats it and then, you know, feels already so much better. And she just starts eating meat again. And, and you know, then she fell pregnant and just found lots of benefits from it so you know maybe for some people they would like to go down this path and you know see where it goes and that's totally fine we're all on our own journey I don't I didn't necessarily start off at the correct answer I had to find my own path as well so everyone's in their own journey but I do personally believe that veganism is a little bit of a agenda as well with 
every restaurant having a vegan section with Beyond Meats being pushed, with tofu being pushed to be consumed. And that could just be because this diet does weaken the population when particularly the men aren't eating lots of animal products and getting enough zinc. And if they are on a plant, plant-based diet, and which is very high in estrogen, particularly phytoestrogens, which is the plant form of estrogen, but it still mimics the estrogen in our body, then that's going to be emasculating them. Um, and obviously when their testosterone drops, they're going to start feeling worse anyways. But that is a little bit of the ultimate goal that we're seeing play out. Well, you did mention there's an agenda at play. When I listened to you in a previous one of your interviews, you did go into more detail about this agenda that you see and what's going on maybe behind the scenes. So we'll save that for the second part of the call. And we are coming towards the end of this first part of the call. So when people contact you for this naturopath consultation, you spend about an hour talking with them. Can you tell us what kind of people are contacting you to get your advice on their diets or on their lifestyles? Are people coming to you when they're already in decent health? Are people coming to you when they've hit that end of the line and they're sick, maybe even in hospital? The question I'm trying to ask you is, the people who contact you to come and get your advice, typically what kinds of situations are they in? Well, I've worked with people who are on complete different ends of the health spectrum. I've worked with people who have basically been housebound for a very long time. They're are too sick to even make it to the mailbox. And so those are some really extreme cases. And then I've worked with people who have, you know, whether it's hormonal issues and issues where they still still function and day-to-day -day life, but they're just not happy with their current state of health and they want to learn how to improve their quality of life and heal themselves. So it is quite a range, but I've never worked with anyone who is, you know, terminally ill where it's life-threatening because I do believe that there is a point where you should go to the to the hospital and see, see way more than a naturopath, if you know what I mean. And what kind of results do you normally get? So you, I'm guessing that you say to them, well, maybe consider eating this food or getting rid of this food or adopting these different practices into your lifestyle. Generally speaking, what kind of results do you see? Yeah, so the health plans that I develop are completely unique to each of my clients. Um, there is no specific diet or way of being that's exactly identical from one person to the next. Everything is always suited to each person because I do spend that time getting to know my client, learning about their past and trying to find what uh, led them to the state of life that they're in today. And then I am able to develop something very unique with them and from the initial consultation, I work with them in my program. So that's, you know, weekly calls, um, weekly updates to their health plan. And they have access to me via messages all throughout the week. So they can always have support and ask me questions about anything they're wondering about in between uh, our consultations. And so I do see a lot of transformations and part, a lot of what I do is educate my clients because the goal is for them to learn this information, learn how to heal themselves, start to learn how their own body works, and then they can pass on that knowledge and information to their friends and family, to their own children or however their situation is. So depending on their state of being, usually they get to a point where they know what they're supposed to do now. They've seen so much improvement and it's almost like they're a bird flying from the nest and they know how to fly now. <laughs> that is terrific. And so I can see on your website that you have these 12-week consultation periods as well. Generally, again, I'm using the word general as much as I can here. Generally speaking, do you find that within that period of time, once people contact you and you go through these plans and then, then hopefully they stick to the plans, is 12 weeks normally enough for you to see big differences? Do people come to you and say, hey, that's made a massive difference? Can you share some of your stories of success, I hope, with some of the people who've contacted you? Yes, for chronic health disorders that have been going on for years, we, we I do longer than 12 weeks. So that's usually just offered to people that I select specifically. But then usually I do find 12 weeks is enough or if it's up to my client, if they want to add on 
um, you know, an extra 12 weeks. It just depends. Or if they want to come back after two months break and then do another 12 weeks. But yes, I have seen, you know, success where they clear their skin, their digestion is better. They are getting off their antidepressant pills. There's, you know, lots of different stories that that come from um, the both of us working together because the, in comparison to going to see your general practitioner or um, Western medicine doctor, in comparison to a naturopath, for example, it is true that it's a, just a very different path of healing. Going down the naturopathy healing part, it's a lot of your commitment to following the health plan and actually making the changes to your diet and lifestyle. And then, of course, I'm there the whole way to support them and keep them on track and always be that encouragement to keep on going. And as soon as they start to see the results and see the benefits in their energy, being able to fall asleep faster so they don't wake up in the middle of the night with insomnia, they start to actually find that motivation and they start you know, getting even more encouraged to keep continuing. Excellent. What I'll do is I'll put a link to your website and to your YouTube channel where there's quite a few videos now so people can go and check out what you do. And you actually do go on camera. And here's one of my concerns about this corner of the internet where there's a lot of people who talk about health, but they never go on camera and you would never know if they even look healthy on the outside, let alone on the inside. You're a bit different, Emily. You go on camera, people can see you. They can see you on camera, talking, even taking that little EMF reader that you had and inspecting the different objects in your house to see how much EMF people can see you. And I don't want to say too much, but if people look at you on camera and see you speaking, they'll probably come to the conclusion that you do look healthy. You're probably walking the walk, not just talking the talk. And I don't mean to criticize certain individuals out there, but I hear a lot of people talking about health and you never see them. They could be talking nonsense. And I have met some of these people where they talk so much and then you meet them and you think, this is the complete opposite. They're talking complete mm-hmm. nonsense. Whereas with you, people can look at you on your videos or on your website and they can see this is a young lady who does look like she is at least on the outside in very good health and your skin has completely cleared up. And so going back to the beginning of your journey, it seems as though, at least on that front, you started off trying to heal yourself. And it seems as though, and I don't know you that well, I'm just basing on what I can see and what I can hear. It seems, Emily, like You've been successful in that. Yeah. Well, I find it very important that I do not hide away from the public eye if this is my chosen career path, because I do aspire to be inspiring. And by doing that, I do like to show myself to show my results. So I have put up, you know, an article, I've talked about it, my health journey in a video. And that article was showing my skin journey and how bad it was to my point of clear skin. So yeah, I definitely don't hide away from showing myself um, so that people can can see actual evidence of what I preach. <laughs> the evidence is what matters. So I'll put those links in the show notes below. Now for the second part of the call, which is available at bombersations.com, that's when we'll get into the really controversial stuff, which I thought we would touch on in this first part, but time has gotten away from us. You did speak in previous work about the agenda that you think is going on. This is more of my wheelhouse. I don't pretend to know much about health, but I feel I've got some idea of what's going on with the agenda. So I want to talk with you about that. And then also, this is going to sound a bit woo-woo, is the astrology stuff, which a lot of people, as soon as they hear that, they think, oh, that's crazy. That's weird. That's nonsense. It's whatever. You seem to agree that the astrology as we have it, as people are taught it or shown it today is nonsense, but you've dug a bit deeper and you found a different form of astrology, which you think matches up with what people can see in the sky and what happens in their lives, and a unique path that people take through life based on the stars that were there when they were born and these kinds of things. So again, this is not something I'm an expert on, but I do want to hear more of your theories about all of that. But time has gotten away from us in this first part of the call, Emily. So come and join me for the second part in just a moment. We'll talk about the agenda. We'll talk about the microwaves and the EMF and all of those kinds of things. We'll talk about why these people are doing what they're doing with the food and with what they're teaching people and what you think the end goal is, because I think on that particular topic, we're on a similar wavelength, if I can put it that way. And we'll talk about the astrology and so much more. So that'll be in the second part of the call. But for this part, Emily, for listeners who are going to leave us at the end of this public upload for Bombersations, tell the listeners a little bit more about your website, what you do, 
say whatever you'd like to say for the, the wider audience who listen here via Podbean. Okay, well, first of all, thank you very much for listening. If you want to keep following my content or hear more from me, I do post on YouTube. I have a page on my website under the tab podcast. So that's where I list all the other podcasts that I've been on. Um, if you want to hear similar conversations to this one. And then, of course, I've got my services available on my website. If you want to work with me one-on-one, that's naturopathy and iridology readings. I do also have a newsletter, which I do find very important and more important than people actually following on my social medias or on my YouTube, because if you really do want to stay in contact in the future, no matter what happens to the internet or anything like that, then the newsletter is definitely a safe bet. So I do recommend subscribing to my newsletter on my website. You've been listening to Bonversations. We appreciate and thank all of the supporters who make this possible. Now have yourself a lovely day. There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. Boom, we can't get fooled again. How dare you!